Hey, and welcome to The Dance Reel. We are here to talk to aspiring and professional dancers about their careers and get the lowdown on what it's really like to be a working dancer. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the very first episode. I am so excited, there's that word again, uh, for this episode to be out. Today I am interviewing Taylor Smith. She's not only one of my friends, but we studied together at Te Aoha, New Zealand Institute of Creativity, in a diploma in performing arts, which is how we met. And Taylor is currently the creative director of Delaying Reality, and they are about to have their show Loco this weekend actually. So if you are interested, please get tickets. I will leave some details in the description below. But I'm so excited to talk to Taylor today. Uh, she's an all-around amazing person. She's had a really interesting journey because on top of having her diploma in performing arts, she also has a diploma in fine arts and she's also represented New Zealand on the world stage for alpine skiing. We'll get into it more in the episode and Taylor can explain more about Loco. But basically the description reads that some people close their eyes and pretend they're somewhere else. Others don't need to. Come explore alternative realities and dip your toes in delusion through contemporary dance and circus. Delay your reality inside a world inspired by Yayo Kasuma. Also, just a little note that we do talk about performance versus technique, and I just want to make a little disclaimer and say that, of course, technique is so, so important, and it's something that we always need to work on, but we were also highlighting that your performance ability is also crucial too, so it's not something to be forgotten, and sometimes it can really make you stand out, despite your technique. <laughs> and I just want to make that little disclaimer because, no, I do not have the world's most perfect techniques so I would never use it as an excuse not to work on it. Um, we should always work on our technique dances but I do think it's also important to highlight that how high your batmont is or how great your grand jeté is is not the only defining feature of what makes you a good dancer. Thanks again for tuning into this episode. I'll probably say that 10 million times as well, but I truly appreciate that you have taken time out of your day to be here and to listen to this episode. Thank you so much. Hey Taylor, thanks so much for joining us on the dance reel. How are you going? Pretty good, thanks Renee. How about you? Yeah, I've been good as well. I've heard you've been pretty busy. Um, I see that you have a show coming up. Yes, we have our friend show Loco uh, debuting on the 26th of Feb, so it's the 10th today, so it's coming up pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, that's so exciting, and that's five shows, right, over three days? Yes, we have the 26th, which is opening night, which is a Friday, and then mm -hmm. we have a show at 6.30 on the Friday, and then we have a 2pm matinee and a 6.30 on both the Saturday and the Sunday at the end of Feb. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. Do you want to tell us a bit more about Loco, um, what it's about and I guess your inspiration for it? So Loco is first and foremost inspired by Yayo Kusama. Um, I'm not sure if you know who Yayo Kusama is, but she's... I was just looking her up um, before this podcast. She looks so cool. She's awesome. Um, she turns 92 in March. She's a world-famous Japanese artist, and 
the most important kind of part about her really apart from being Japanese is also that she's like a really well-known female artist um which there's not too many of those mm-hmm. around from her era so Loco is inspired by Yayo uh <laughs> Loco is inspired <laughs> by <laughs> by Yayo Kusama um and our main aim for Loco is to explore Yayo's mind states um, mm-hmm. because Yayo is, well, they have many uh, a diagnosis um, as far as mental health is concerned, and they currently live in a mental institution and have done for about 20 years in Japan. Um, oh, wow. live in the facility, and they have a studio about 100 metres down the road, and every morning they oh. just toddle on down to the studio and make art and then go back. That's so cool. Um, it's really cool. And what we're trying to do is just look through her life and her art practice mm-hmm. and let that dictate the storyline in an abstract manner. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Um, and so you have <laughs> dancers involved in that? and We have dance and circus, actually. Thanks for reminding me. So we have seven dancers. Seven dancers. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's um, so a small, like, close-knit cast then. Yeah, it, it's small, but it's also um, a lot to wrangle as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So how did you come across Yayo? Um, back in 2009, actually, was the first, like, interaction with her that I really remember. I may have come across her at school um, mm-hmm. in art, but in 2009 there was an exhibition called Mirrored Years at Wellington City Gallery. and you wouldn't have been in Wellington at the time, but um, for anyone that was, the whole of City Gallery was just covered in polka dots. But I went there with my boyfriend at the time. I was in year 12, and we went on a date to see the exhibition. Um, and I pretty much just left him. <laughs> oh, Not in the relationship, but um, just wandered around there by myself, happy for like multiple hours. And I think that was the first time I ever truly was introduced to, like, installation as, like, a full-blown concept. Um, Wellington City Gallery hadn't really had installation of that kind before in my Mm. experience. Oh, okay. Um, So, yeah, that was back in 2009. And then I went off to art school a few years down the track. And Yaya was always a model that I kept going back to because... I loved the way that they were so immersive and the way that it was always something that really affected your mood because you were put in a new space and a new place. And mm. So they have always been an artist that I guess is close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, and so are you trying to bring that full immersive experience with Loco? Yes. Yes, we are. But there are limitations to what we can currently bring. Um, yes, yeah. It's probably more the emotional shifts that we're able to focus on mm-hmm. uh, and be a bit more true to Yayo's nature. Uh-huh. Um, Let's see. Yeah, a different budget, and I could give you <laughs> the full version. Yes, I don't think we quite get given those grants yet. <laughs> Oh, I so wish that I could be there to see it. 
what is it like working with dancers and also circus um, performers as well? Is it are there different dynamics between the two, or has it worked quite well? It's a really interesting question, actually, because I've used uh, both circus and dancers in both of my shows that I've produced so far, mm-hmm. and we speak very different languages. Um, That's so interesting. You wouldn't think so, eh? But... No, you wouldn't think so, but we definitely, like, I mean, dancers, I don't really count. You know I don't really count. Um, but <laughs> you do have to count when you teach, and I find circus performers, uh, it's more about the transition from one move to the next. Mm. Um, simple things like we've had a pas de bourre, and we spent 20 minutes teaching them how to do a pas de bourre. Um, mm. So what I've done this year is I've tried to not separate but to keep everyone working to their strengths a little bit more than I did last year. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's really, really cool because you get, like if I say something quite often, a translation to the circus performance would be a different interpretation to what someone like Nico or Bjorn might give me. And mm. I like what they did better. Mm-hmm. And so it's having multiple viewpoints that really allows us to not get too narrowly focused so yeah it's definitely benefits perspectives yeah (laughs) yeah that's really cool um I was actually going to ask um so this is obviously your second production do you want us to tell us more about your first production mind is full mind is full man it seems so long ago (laughs) (laughs) in the pre-covid world in the pre-covid world just on the cusp really I mean when we started COVID without making this about COVID. Um, We started December 2019 um, working on that show, and that was sort of when it was all brewing. It feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, honestly. Mindestful was probably slightly more of a conceptual show. I like to think of Loco as being a conceptual show, but Mindestful was based around the idea of two states of being. Um, Mm -hmm. The first of which was mindful, so present, aware, grounded, um, unified, I guess. Okay, yeah. And then how life and everyday situations can push you so quickly into being mindless Mm. and how to find that reconnection. Um, So we spent 50 minutes exploring the shift between those two ways of being and existing. Yeah, Um, that's so interesting because, yeah, it's so easy to go about your day and just kind of go into autopilot, especially when you have a routine and you're very busy. So I find it's like a really cool concept to explore, just bring everyone back into being mindful. Has there been any differences between producing Mind is Full and Loco? It definitely has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, differences between the two. Obviously, when I produced Mind is Full, I was going in quite blind. I was quite adamant that uh, halfway through my second year at Taalha that I just wanted to do a show um, to kind of prove to myself that I could. And I didn't really have too much under my belt other than determination. <laughs> um, so when I went into Mind is Full, I kind of came across lots of little roadblocks and things I had to 
yeah, work through. Um, whereas this year, producing Loco, I've already like had those written down and knowing my obstacles that I may come up against, and I was able to yeah, plan. Yeah, you're in full of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, plan to work around them. Um, but the thing that I think has made the most difference for well, for me personally this year with the show is because I had Mind is Full under my belt and I had the whole show recorded um, by Jordan and then we also got nominated for a Momentous Movement Award in French. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank I didn't you. know about that. It was extremely <laughs> <so> unexpected. Cool. <laughs> um, but having all of those things meant that when I went and put my application forward for the Kakano funding for Creative New Zealand, we were actually accepted. Um, mm, true. So I haven't had to worry about funding it this year. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. It, it takes a big weight off your shoulders. A massive weight off your shoulders, far less anxiety and like 20% more time to spend on doing the other things. Yeah, actually created the show. <laughs> actually creating the show, not just trying to make it happen which can take a lot of time. So that's probably mm. the main difference, I would say, is having funding makes a, a massive, massive benefit to the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what is your process producing a show um, from the whole vision and putting it together, but also your choreographic processes? How do you like to bring your concepts to life? That's a really good question. Um, as far as... How did the whole thing come about? Uh, initially, obviously, we started with my kind of infatuation in 2009 with the artists Yaya themselves. Um, but the concept for Loco as a show actually pretty much came from lockdown, ironically. Bjorn and Nico and I would do Skype dates and we'd like do art sessions. So we'd like. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'd like draw together and kind of talk or kind of download or just exist <laughs> with the others. <laughs> yeah, which was so important during lockdown. 100%. And I can't remember whether I drew something or they drew something, but I just came back to them like on our third session and I was like, I'm going to do a show. This is the idea. Um, let's just find a way to make it happen. And that was kind of the start of Loco. I just... There was a void Decided. and a need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was lots of time. <laughs> and I didn't really do anything about it until I applied for the actual, like, fringe application. Mm. And when was the, the application due? Application. When is the application due? Sooner than you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's about November-ish. Ah, uh, okay, I see. Ish. So, end of the year. Cool. And so do you have other choreographers, like, for example, didn't, uh, Nico and Bjorn, are they helping with choreography, or is it just you? Uh, currently, I have myself and then Gracie Lewis, who was the year below us at Te Aoha. She's choreographing a few pieces, which are really different to my style, which is awesome. Joe Taylor also flew down. So... They're, well, they came down for two, two hours pretty much and handed over <laughs> a whole lot of curry with a whole lot of counts. And, um, oh, wow, that's full on. Yeah, it was, I was just watching. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Mila as well from Society Entertainment. 
who is working on a really, really cool piece that is almost finished. So oh, there's cool. four of us. Um, I wouldn't say that Nico and Bjorn or any of the other cast are choreographing other than Gracie, but mm-hmm. everyone's presence and all of the silly things that they do in the like in-between times, yeah. um, we always grab them and kind of work them because they're magic. They're always yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, is that different to Mind is Full as well? Were you the sole choreographer for the first show? Uh, no, I also had Joe doing choreography in the first show. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah. And I also had Zamaya Faye, mm-hmm. who has just relocated to Melbourne. They yeah, that's so exciting for her. I know. And it's really it'll be really good yeah, for her. It will be, for sure. We also actually had Emma Maddock um, as part of conceptualizing one of the last pieces as well. Uh, before mm-hmm. they went in, was it their hip surgery, I think? Yes, yeah. So anyone that's listening to the podcast that uh, isn't familiar or unfamiliar with any of these people, they're mostly from Te Awaha, um, which is the full-time diploma program that we did, and Emma Maddock was one of our tutors at that program. Yeah, so I guess almost everything is pretty in-house um, mm. Te Awaha in context for now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Do you think in the future would you want to expand, or do you have a bigger vision, or are you just enjoying producing these shows at the moment? For now, I'm just enjoying them. Um <laughs> There's definitely given more time and a reimagination of either Mindsful or Loco or anything. Like, ideally, this show would exist in a purely sterile white cube um, with, you know, projection screens or projection capacity on the walls and the floor and for it to be... Yeah, kind of like what they did at the Van Gogh exhibition. Yeah, yeah, just like that. (laughs) Oh, that would Ideally, be incredible. In mm. the, the magic little world I live in. <laughs> I was reading the description of Loco and how you wrote, some people close their eyes and pretend they're somewhere else, others mm. don't need to. Yeah. And I really loved that. <laughs> and I feel like that's so you because I know you're just like this such creative being. And I know I feel like I'm a semi-creative person, but I'm definitely not on the level that you are. And like, I love that. You're just in this world and you can bring others into that world. I think it's a really special talent that not everyone has. Thank you, Renee. Yeah, that was um, that was an interesting, interesting way of me putting it. But well, I guess for me, storytelling is kind of my like number one aim when it comes to choreography or shows. Um, storytelling characterization performance is all I really care about if I was to pick one thing so it's more about the story and how the ideas that you present to the audience and the way that you make them feel rather than yes the specific choreography or what's happening on yes. stage it's more the especially overall picture. especially mm. that I feel that's like really that's cool. what people that's what I take away from a show um, I know a lot of people can watch a show and be mesmerized by technique and aspire to that, but I like to be um, taken somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also kind of incorporated in uh, the name of that production company, which is Delaying Reality. 
Yeah, I also love that name. (laughs) (laughs) That was my Bebo name when I was like 12. Oh, I love it. It's been like (laughs) your life motto. (laughs) Yeah, do everything you can to keep things different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We've already spoken about like the artist that inspired Loco, but in general, Mm. what inspires your art or inspires you to create? Um, in a way, I mean, art in general, as in my practice spans through mixed media, so dance, choreography, painting, sculpture, installation, uh, video, uh, in the past anyway. A lot of my initial intention always just comes from an extremely selfish place, um, as far as just the need to create this because I want it to exist. Mm-hmm. And quite often I don't acknowledge the audience at all, which can come and run into some like agency issues down the line sometimes. But normally the work is more informed, less informed by the viewer and more informed by the space. And I always aim to have the object or the um, human or the flat surface like a painting itself be navigating some form of space which takes you on a journey regardless of whether you moved or chose to go with it sort of it always takes you so it's almost like brought to you and takes you away rather than you actively seeking it yes exactly like um so tell me a bit more about your dance career in general um like how long have you been dancing and I know you've gone from like a skiing career to doing a mixed media diploma to dancing. Um, do you want to tell us more about your dance journey? My dance journey? Well, I was born in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I started then. I'm, I'm a little bit, a little bit. Actually, before I was born, the dance journey started really uh, at a nightclub where my mum was at because she'd closed a deal. She wasn't drinking. Oh. Um, uh-huh. And I started boogieing at the discotheque pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> just eager just to get out there on the dance floor. So, yeah, dancing before I came out pretty much. Um, but I never did too much serious formal training when I was young. I mm-hmm. was full of energy. I didn't stay still for long. Um, ballet was not my jam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I was definitely, like, really big on the acting and the performing, and I was quite precocious. So I was enrolled in a studio called Flying Pigs Dance Studio. Flying Pigs, that's so cute. Yeah, with um, Alison and Kate Branchin. And I think we did, like, jazz foundation kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but again, it was very heavily based in performance and being yourself and being different Mm. Um, and then they closed down and I moved to a ballet school which wasn't my jam but uh, this teacher had the same kind of ethos where she didn't really mind um, if you were being super classical or not she just wanted you to move as Mm -hmm. you were a bit more expressive than traditional yeah yeah I mean they themselves had an impeccable technique and lines um, but it was all about performance for them. She didn't really care about, uh, well, she cared about your feet. <laughs> <laughs> There's all that you should do. 
And then I stopped dancing after school, I think when I was, about when portfolios came in for art, ironically. Ah, um, uh, yes. I think that's about year <laughs> 11, year 12. Year uh -huh. 11. Yeah, so that would have been 2000 and, oh God, 2008, I stopped. Um, and then I went off and did a whole bunch of life things. I was traveling, I lived in Aussie for like four years. I got a degree in, um, well, actually I got a diploma. I studied for three years, but I got a diploma in fine arts. Mm -hmm. um, but in my studio, I kept dancing um, in my big white cube at Massey and oh, cool. making these installations that turned into like performance art dance. Um, yeah, awesome. So you were already kind of connecting the two or fusing the two together even yeah. back then. And I think yeah. I was using the dance to escape the art that time rather than the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started taking some casual classes, just like, like community classes um, with mm -hmm. like human movement company or um, just like a random class uh, at the old fitty. And I auditioned for Te Aloha when it first opened in, was it 2018? We auditioned yes. in 2017. Yeah, we auditioned in 2018. Oh, no, 17. 17, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all a blur now. <laughs> we can put it behind us. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I didn't want, um, I found something special in dance then, and it was helping me uh, in a therapeutic sense without being dependent on it, but just something that really brought me joy and I didn't see any reason why I couldn't try do something different. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then they let me in. <laughs> you sound surprised. I was surprised. I was asked in my um, audition, I won't mention the name of the teacher, but they turned to me and <laughs> just asked, do you normally pick up this slow? Oh, no. <laughs> So yeah, I was surprised they let me in. <laughs> I think they saw some other qualities of me that were beneficial to the team. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so not a huge dance history, um, but always enjoyed it. And I think mm. that was enough. It's probably something they saw in you too, because I feel like picking up choreography is a skill that you build up, um, kind of like fitness, you know, you have to work on it. Uh, it's not something that always comes naturally to everyone and you can definitely work on it and if you had like, two months off it does mm. take sometimes like a couple of classes to get back to where it. you were yeah absolutely. I find it anyway <laughs> yeah no I, I feel exactly the same um I found through 2020 after having that big break after graduation and through lockdown and mm. everything going back to classes I really struggled as well and it's like I, I swear I picked up on things faster <laughs> Like, I swear yes, used to be so much better. That we, also, like, we hadn't been dancing. We hadn't really been moving. We hadn't had mirrors. Mm -hmm. We hadn't. Yeah. Everything was um, new again. So different. Yeah, exactly. So we haven't touched on it too much, but mm -hmm. um, I'm aware that you had a skiing career. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that transferred from that to your art or any skills or key lessons that have crossed over? Um. There definitely would be. I think one of the main things which is like quite obvious would be discipline. Although in my 
art. I'm not necessarily like a technically disciplined practitioner. Um, I'm very abstract expressionist if I was to have a movement put to me. Um, working like nine to five if you have a project. Um, mm. Just like when we woke, woke up for skiing, we would be up at four and well, wow. we'd be at 10 p.m. after we had school wow. night. Um, yeah, that's such a long day. It is a long day, but you're also at the top of a mountain with like watching the sunrise every morning and you get hot chocolate and you to go yeah, 100 up. It's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely say discipline. Um, but also I came into art school, I mean, not older, um, mm. because you have like 40, 50 year olds that come to art school because anyone can make art. Yeah, um, absolutely. But a lot of the people that I was surrounded by were, you know, freshers, like young kids. I think I started at about 21, 22, and then went through to 25. Um, and I feel like skiing and all of the travel that I did gave me like a different worldview, um, a slightly broader scope on the kinds of people and ways that people act and are, and yeah, just a slightly different perspective. Yeah. Which I feel like obviously in a pre-COVID world or a non-pandemic world, <laughs> travel is one of the best forms of education because, yeah. yeah, you get to experience this new culture and way of life and all of these different perspectives. Yeah, for sure. Um, but other than that, I would actually say art probably had, like instead of skiing having an impact on dance, I actually mm. think that sorry, skiing had an impact on art, I would okay. actually say that art had more of an impact on me unpacking skiing. Um, I feel like art was where, like, because when I was young, when I skied, I remember I was in France once, and I won the bronze medal at the um, British Junior Super G, like, <laughs> I'd never done yeah. a Super G before, I'd never put Super G skis on before. Um, wow. So for dancers, super G just basically means you're going like 100 to 120K. And normally we would be going like 60, 70K. Wow, so almost double. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, a don't know, doing a a techno song versus a ballet waltz. Um, (laughs) And I remember saying to my coach, um, he was like, you know, you could have won that. Um, which is stupid. They should have never said that anyway. I'd never done it before. Yeah, you already <laughs> got the bronze medal. Yeah, I got the bronze medal, guys. Um, Still pretty impressive. Yeah, I thought so. It was my favourite medal until I got a really big trophy. <laughs> <laughs> but he said to me um, something along the lines of, um, you need to take more risks because I was always quite safe. Um, um, I wanted to be safe. And yeah. Art allowed me a space to like really make a mess and to spend 20 hours on a painting and then rip it up and make a collage out of it and then Mm. burn it just because that was the process. Um, Mm -hmm. So it definitely taught me how to take risks, but it also took me most importantly not to care about what people think. Yeah, I think that's such a big important lesson, not only in the dance world, but just in every facet of our lives. dance world. (laughs) yeah absolutely so I think art is probably the reason I was able to 
be bold enough to put myself forward to audition for Teilhata in that here mm. Um, mm. in the first place, which is pretty cool what art yeah. can give you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was also going to ask if there's anything that crossed over between um, like your art degree and then dance, but I guess you've already covered that. The important lesson of not caring about what other people think. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but an observation that I've made is that people, when they're performing, mm. and you can tell that they're not worried or concerned about the people that are viewing them and they're just totally in it and they're mm. taking those risks. Um, they perform so much better and it doesn't matter if they're technically correct or anything, but they're the ones that you're watching. They're the ones that are captivating the audience, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's some, what's the phrase? It's something like acting is just reacting. You're never actually trying to act. So you, when you put yourself on stage, if you have a complex character or emotion you're trying to convey, you can't pretend to feel that. You have to find a way in my experience to uh, create a situation where you can actually go there mm, and yeah, absolutely. enjoy that whether mm -hmm. it's dark or light or you know enjoy being there in a situation that's not in the real world <laughs> yeah absolutely in loco do the performers do they have characters or do you kind of encourage them to be in their own world and space and to react to what's happening mm. from that perspective or um they don't necessarily have characters such as characters that are consistent the whole way through kind of similar in a way to mindersville mindersville everyone was of equal they were all the same they were representing yeah. uh, a consciousness um so loco everyone for me is just representing Yayo's mind state mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but there are times where uh, the mind state shifts quite drastically into like a psychotic episode. Um, so in one dance, uh, everyone is these like, you know, those little flowers, um, they're like a little anime thing and they'll sit on your dashboard and their leaves kind of like flap up and down and they bob. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, vaguely. <laughs> yeah, vaguely, like a little a bobby toy. Um, everyone turns into like a very caricature, like uh, cartoonish version of a flower because when Yayo first experienced her uh, first major hallucination, um, she saw flowers all over the tablecloth and then they like filled the whole room and then oh, it was wow. beautiful and then it turned dark on her. Mm. Um, it became overwhelming and her recollection is that she tried to eat them all out of existence um, oh wow whether she moved at all who knows what she was actually doing in the physical world but in her world um, mm. she was running around That's a field so trying to eat a million flowers um, wow so we're trying to embody the energy of all of the different states as we move through them so yeah, more working as with character intent maybe than characters themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so would you have any advice for other inspiring dancers or producers? Are there any important lessons that you've learnt um, that you haven't mentioned that you think that other people should know? 
As far as dancers, obviously I'm a prime example of it's never too late. <laughs> In some way, shape or form, no matter how you move, every mm. dancer, every performer is valuable to a choreographer um, because there's a place for everyone being unified and moving as one, but what people bring as individuals is what really can bring a story to life for me. So I wouldn't worry yeah. about ever being too old or too different. Um, I think there's always a place, and if not, make a place. Yeah. <laughs> it is such an important message. Um, I know so many people that want to dance, but I think they're too mm. afraid to. But yeah, I always want to encourage anyone, even if you're just in a casual class, like you don't have to perform on stage if you don't want to. But yeah, like you've said, just know that your presence is valid and that you do add to the dance or whatever it is that you're part of. Like you are valuable. Everyone is valuable sure yeah and performing isn't what defines dancing is it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and would you have any advice to anyone wanting to produce a show or even just advice mm. that you wish you could tell yourself pre-minders <laughs> <laughs> um pre-minders for there's there's a whole podcast for that <laughs> um but I think as far as like anyone wanting to produce something or, you know, make a music video or a show or whatever, mm -hmm. um, the number one thing I've learned throughout the process over the last two years of these fringe shows is always ask. Mm -hmm. Always ask. Um, especially in New Zealand, people often say yes if you ask. Mm. And that's, that's not uh, asking for help or yeah for help for for funding for um is there a deal that I could have on this rehearsal space because I can't afford anywhere um anything email talk reach out to people the community in Wellington when Fringe comes around all of the circus shows are working together so that we save costs on rigging we're all sharing equipment we're sharing mats um we've hired a hazer together Mm, it's a big so, community effort. Yeah, if if you reach out and put yourself even just with one email to one person, mm. chances are they'll put you in touch with someone else if they can't help. Um, yeah, absolutely. So just never be afraid to ask as long as you're using good judgment. <laughs> I feel like I'm totally going to botch the actual wording of the saying, but there's a saying along the lines of... Um, the answer is always no if you never ask the question or something like that yeah. um yeah and so I totally agree and I've we've definitely learned that with society that yeah even if they can't help you they may know people and mm. will pass on your details or point you in the right direction so people are always willing to help if you're willing to ask and they might also just park it and think about you for next time as well yeah absolutely um, so if anyone wants to come to Loco, how can they do that? Where can they find tickets and where is the show? Well, firstly, tickets you can find at the Fringe website. Mm -hmm. um, so just I'll put a little link in the description oh, for awesome. people. <laughs> so that's just fringe.co.nz and then we've got, you can search Loco from the main um, like kind of portal on the front. 
mm-hmm. and you can purchase tickets straight from the Fringe website. That is the only way I think you can actually purchase tickets. Okay, so they have to be online, no door sales? Ooh, no, that that would actually be incorrect. You can purchase tickets on the Fringe website, or I do think we have door sales as well. Um, uh-huh. TBC. <laughs> yeah, provided you don't sell out as a show. Uh-huh, I see. Yes. Yeah, I'll leave a link for people, <laughs> anyone that is interested. And how can people find you or the Delaying Reality if they want mm. to follow your journey? Uh, the most, uh, or the best place to find the journey uh, for Loco um, mm-hmm. and most of our things that we work on as projects is on Instagram. So that's at Delaying Reality. Um, just like that with no spaces. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, will you be doing another video screening of Loco? We maybe. We're currently looking into whether it is productive for us to screen it in the Dunedin Fringe Festival. Um, but that is again TBC. Okay, um, cool. Quite possibly. I, I did enjoy watching the last one um, when I was up in Tauranga and I couldn't make it to Mindersville, so it was really cool. So if you do have a video viewing, I will be all eyes and ears. Um, do you have any last words of wisdom or anything else that you wanted to talk about? Basically just without Creative New Zealand and NZ Fringe's support through Kakano funding, Loco mm-hmm. wouldn't uh, probably... We probably wouldn't have gone through with Loco this year. Oh, so thank you, Creative NZ. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Creative NZ, for the funding and support. Um, and not only just the funding, but, yeah, the, I guess the support almost means more than the funding. To yeah, just someone believing in your vision. and Yeah, it helps you believe in your vision um, mm. in a silly way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right, thanks so much for joining us on the dance reel. Um, it's been so cool to chat to you, and I'm so looking forward to seeing how the show goes. Good luck. Um, break a leg for your opening night. And, yeah, I can't wait to see any footage or pictures that come out of it. And, yeah, for anyone that wants to go and see Loco, I will leave the details in the description as well as their social handles so you can keep an eye on what they're doing and what they're working on in the future. So, yeah, thanks again, Taylor. Thank you, Elise.